Happy Easter Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. I hope that wherever you are joining in from today, that you are starting to feel that joy that we can have on Resurrection Sunday together. Our first song that we sang this morning, Happy Day. It always takes me back to being 14 years old at some sort of Christian youth event, and it might be quite subdued and like quite calm, and then suddenly happy day would be played, and the the whole place, the the church building or wherever the event was, would turn into a sort of holy mosh pit. Maybe if you were born at a similar time to me, you might have had a similar experience with that song, but I love it. It takes me back, and it is a happy day. It's an entirely appropriate song for us to sing today because Jesus is alive, And we might feel that, we might feel a tension in our souls today as we come to celebrate and as we sing songs like that and as we um, experience the joy because, because Jesus is alive, we might feel a tension because I don't know your story and I don't know how you have been specifically affected by everything that's going on in our world, but I know that for some of you, you might, in the last few weeks, you might have lost your job. You might be separated from your friends and from your family for the first Easter weekend ever. You might be on your own. You might be feeling anxious about the future. You might be feeling a whole mixture of those things. You might be someone who's working on the front line. Maybe you're going in every day to work and you're having to face this. And that's scary. And that's your reality right now. I don't know what your story is, but I know that all of our different experiences and from every angle today, we get to come and we get to celebrate something that transcends it all, something that is true for us today, as much today, especially today, perhaps. And we want to look up together and remember that. I wish you were here with me. I wish this was Feaster and not just Easter. I wish we were about to eat Timmy Anderson's food. I wish we were gonna have Joe Anderson's cake afterwards. You're lucky if you're in their house today. I am feeling the ache of you not being here. Honestly, it's not the same. I wanna eat, I want us to eat together and celebrate together and, and do that bit where Brian makes us all channel our like inner American Pentecostal and we all cheer out loud for Jesus together. I've no doubt that when we're back together, he'll make us cheer very, very loudly, but we'll probably be right up for it. I wish you were here. This is a different sort of Easter, and it's one that I don't think we're going to forget. But if it is possible to celebrate anything today, anything in this season, then it is possible to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, because if he rose from the dead, it changes everything. Easter is epic. And our our culture has crowned Christmas king because there's something about a baby and a manger and some animals and some kings bringing gifts that we can all get behind and we can all endorse. But I think that Easter has, obviously you need Christmas to get to Easter, but Easter has undeniably got the, the greatest and the best and the most dramatic implications for our lives. It's so worthy of a fuss and it's so worthy of a feast and it's so worthy of the world stopping to take notice today, maybe especially today. But something about Easter is also divisive, maybe even a little bit offensive. All in all, perhaps to the outside eye, maybe a bit much. Because where with Christmas, we have a baby in a manger, and that, that, that feels like quite a safe picture. At Easter, we have a man who claimed to be God, who died a violent death. We have a day of silence. And then on the third day, we have 
his friends claiming to have seen him alive. Witnesses telling a story of seeing the living Jesus that then rippled throughout history, changing the world forever. And then over 2,000 years of, of people like me, maybe people like you, maybe people like your crazy friend who sent you the link for church today, building their whole life on the truth of that claim that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Because if he didn't, this doesn't mean anything. And right now to have a secure hope, to believe in something that is beyond our current circumstances, that changes things for us right now. Because in this crisis, so much of what we hope in and so much of what we put our uh, hopes in together has been pulled out from underneath us so quickly and so suddenly. In January of this year, I was fortunate enough to squeeze in a trip to Canada to visit some friends in northern BC. Now, where they live is pretty much as far west and north as you can go before it's entirely like ice up there. And I did the journey in, in one like extra long day, which was totally fine because it was a quick trip. I wanted to get there quickly. And it, and it was all fine until I got to the final flight, which, you know, like Murphy's Law, it was delayed, okay? And it delayed in that really annoying way where you're sitting and you're waiting and it's just delayed like 10 minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time. And no one tells you anything about what's going on. You get no information. You just see like the staff sort of laughing jovially to themselves behind the time. Tannoy system and you just get increasingly more enraged. So eventually we, we boarded the plane and in a sort of um, angry, tired delirium, I, I get on the plane and I notice that the plane looks like it has existed since the beginning of time and that the chairs on the plane look like they've been rescued from some sort of abandoned cinema of the 1980s and the seatbelts are like shoelaces and I wonder, how is this even legal? Like how, how can this be allowed? We sit on the plane for about half an hour, again, receiving no information about why we are just sitting there. And then uh, an announcement goes out over the system where they say that something on the plane is broken and that we can't actually take off until an engineer comes and, I quote, looks at it. They have to come and make a note that they have looked at it, not fixed it or replaced it or dealt with the problem at hand, but they need to look at it. And then I, I watched as this man came in in a high-vis vest with a clipboard, but no other evidence of any sort of expertise or that he was in fact an engineer. And he, he sort of did a whole lot of nothing and then left the plane again. And if I'd had any more energy at that point in my life, I would, it would have been my own Phoebe Buffet moment because if there was ever a plane without a phalange, I was on it. But I didn't have any energy, so I sat and the plane eventually took off. And for the next hour, I sort of fell in and out of this fitful, anxious sleep. And then suddenly I'm aware that we're going down. So then I'm like, okay, right, this is my moment. This is my arrival moment. So I get my phone and I, I shoot it up at the window because I'm like, this is my Instagram moment, right? And I look out the window and all I can see is snowy, swirling darkness. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Can't see anything yet. It'll get nice in a wee second. And we continue to go down and... I'm aware that the airport should be appearing, but still nothing but snowy, swirling darkness, a bit whiter than it was a couple of moments ago. And we go back up, and we go back down, and we go back up, and we turn around, and I'm like, this is it, we're going back to Vancouver, it's all over. And eventually, though, we did land in the middle of a snowstorm, Visibility basically zero, minus 30 degrees outside, nothing to see except white on white on white. And yet in that moment, I had no choice but to just buckle up, trust the pilot, hope for the best. COVID-19 has thrown our world into crisis and people, lots of people, lots of us, we're finding that we have put our hope in rickety, old, substandard planes 
things that are literally falling apart because they can't cope with the world's storms. And so we look out and we panic. And there's a pandemic of fear. And we feel it right now. We are experiencing this. We're experiencing this storm. But what if there's a better plane? What if there's something better to plant your feet on in this moment where, yeah, you'll still feel the waves, you'll still feel the wind, but ultimately you'll, you'll have a deep inner peace that comes from security, that comes from knowing that you are safe, that you can trust where you're going ultimately. Jesus' resurrection matters in our time when we are facing this crisis that we can't control because all of these other hopes and these other things that we've thought to be true are crumbling in front of us. Suddenly we're all too aware that we can't build any sort of post-trouble world for ourselves to our own progress. And we've been deeply unsettled by the disruption to our sort of self-curated enjoyment and flourishing in this life. Mark Sayers wrote a book called Strange Times. Now, this was released in 2017, but it is right on the money for, for right now. It's, it's all about what God is up to in times of upheaval. And he wrote this, the reason we feel as anxious as we do is that we don't see what we expected. We came running into the new world with arms raised in triumph like a boxer waiting for flowers to flood the ring. But as the darkness swirls around us, our posture shifts, our arms slouch in confusion as if to ask, what is this? Expect utopia and dystopia is jarring. We can't make a utopia out of this world. We can't make an Eden out of this world. It's broken and that isn't a new thing. And while what we're experiencing right now might feel so staggering on a global scale and also on a, on a personal scale when it comes to how it's personally impacting us, our history is riddled with evidence of our world's brokenness. I find it so surprising. I talk to my grandmother on the phone right now and when everything kind of kicked off a little while ago, she was so calm. She was so calm in the midst of it because it strikes me that she's seen so much more than me in her life. She's seen so much more evidence of the brokenness and darkness in this world than I have. Praise God. The Bible tells a similar story. If you've read even a small part of the Old Testament, if you've read through the whole thing, then you'll definitely have felt even just a little bit of that ache that pervades human history, the ache for a savior, the need for a savior to come. Our world needs a savior and we need a savior. Outside the walls of a church, we don't talk about sin much. We've sort of lost the language for it. We talk about good people and we talk about bad people, but we don't often talk about the state of our own hearts, the fact that we know that there's something here that isn't quite right, that there's, uh, we long for reconciliation, we long for forgiveness, we long for, for things to be made right between us and other people and between us and our maker, between us and God. I know that my soul longs for restoration, it longs for something beyond itself. And the good news of Resurrection Sunday is that we don't need to rely on these rickety planes of, of work and achievement and relationships and our future plans to save us. But actually, the resurrection becomes so worthy of careful consideration because it's the evidence that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I'm not going to talk about the historical evidence behind the resurrection today, but I would encourage you, if you've never looked into it, to give it some careful examination, to look at the extensive work that has been done that centers around um, the empty tomb, the first-hand witnesses, uh, the dramatic historical impact of how it all played out. Today, I want to anchor us in John's gospel, um, the beginning of it and the end. 
Now, before COVID-19 uh, was a thing for us here, we picked Easter's theme from the beginning of John's gospel, uh, where he writes, he was with, it's about Jesus, he writes, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John starts his account of Jesus' life by setting out the story he's going to tell. The New Living Translation of the Bible says it, tells it this way. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And the Passion Translation, I love how it, uh, it calls Jesus the light that darkness could not diminish. Now, the, the big spoiler here is that that's how the story ends. John's Gospel stands out among the other uh, three because it doesn't begin with a story of Jesus being born in a stable, but it starts and ends with the hope of resurrection. So I want to read his account of Resurrection Sunday today so that we can consider, what, okay, what does it mean for me right now? What does it mean for us right now? And what does it mean for us always? I'll read it. You can follow along um, in your own Bibles or using the words on the screen. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone has been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he'd said these things to her. Okay, quick pause. Can you see the dog in this picture? Picture on your screen. Can you see the dog? Can you see the dog in this picture? I was sent this the other day in a, in a group chat and I found it incredibly frustrating because I couldn't see the dog. I'll tell you, actually, it's a pug, if that helps to know the breed. Can you see the pug in this picture? And I, as I couldn't find it, I kept asking my friends, okay, where, where is the dog? The where is the pug? And they just said, look again. I'm going to take it away in a moment. So if you've seen it, you've won. Otherwise, you've not won. First thing I see in this story for us today is an invitation to look again. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and she sees the stone rolled away. She runs to Peter and John and she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. They both go to the tomb and they eventually go into the tomb to see what has taken place. 
And John writes, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Mary stood near the cross as Jesus died. And as soon as the Sabbath is over, as soon as Saturday is finished, while it's still dark, basically as soon as she could, she goes to the tomb and seeing the stone rolled away and seeing what she saw, she does what a lot of us would do and she adopts a likely story. And then from that, she reacts and she goes to the disciples and she says, they've taken him away and we don't know where they've put him. And then she weeps. She stands outside the tomb and she cries. But mid tears, she looks again into the tomb and the details are always important. It says as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. We see her grief in her tears, and yet when she looks again, that is when she starts to see that something supernatural is taking place. Could it be that in moments of grief like this, when it might feel like the darkness has won or is winning, that there's an invitation for us to look again, to bend and look, maybe through tears, to see if it's possible that there's something supernatural to discover. In moments like this where the darkness feels overwhelming, this is the time to consider, this is the time to look at the tomb again and to think, could it be true? Is there anything to notice here in this story? The tomb was the space of darkness and of death and yet with the stone rolled away and the light starting to shine in, that was the place where the first pieces of evidence of the resurrection were discovered by Peter, John and Mary. Mary, when she looks again and she begins to see beneath the surface what she's been living by, the story that she adopted is revealed to be insufficient and untrue. Jesus had publicly said that he would die and that on the third day he would rise from the dead. And yet we see in Mary that maybe from standing at the cross as he's died, from seeing him die in front of her, from seeing the body taken down and, and buried, seeing the suffering that she's seen, seeing what she's witnessed in terms of the darkness of, of his death, that for her in this moment has eclipsed any expectation of the miraculous having occurred. Or maybe it's, it's just totally dominating her interpretation of events as they unfold on that first Easter Sunday at first. And she's living by this story that's revealed when she's asked twice, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. Her anguish on one hand and her reaction on one hand is, is totally it feels totally natural and totally normal. And yet, on the other hand, it is, it's coming out, it's rooted in a story that's only half true. She's looking for a dead body and she won't find one. We should ask ourselves in this moment, as we look at our circumstances, what story am I living by? And is it good enough? Is it true? Are we seeing beyond the darkness? Does the story that we're living out of right now make space for the supernatural? Are we looking for a dead body or are we looking for the living God at work in our time? Because the second thing I see in this passage this week is an invitation to build our lives on a better story, to face our current reality, clinging to the truth of a living Jesus and not being carried by our current reality into believing anything less than that to be true. Quick assumptions of our heart in this time might be things like God is uncaring or he's, he's powerless to help or he's distant He's not listening. 
or he doesn't care about who I am or, or, or what I've planned or what I want, or even that he's not there to be found. Mary is looking for a dead body, and as such, she doesn't recognize the living Jesus when he's physically present in front of her. If we imagine God to be something that he's not, we risk missing the wood for the trees. He won't be found as anything less than the good, loving, present, living God that he is. It's easy to look at Mary so much later and to almost roll our eyes a little bit, but we cannot imagine what it will have been like to live through that weekend the first time to have seen Jesus die, and then to have that Saturday, that Sabbath of silence, to wait, to be heartbroken, and wait in that moment, maybe hoping, yes, but not knowing, not feeling sure. But maybe right now, in lots of ways, it might feel like that Saturday. Maybe you feel like you're in that Saturday where we know that things are dark and things are hard, and we're waiting for hope to be revealed and we don't know what's to come. A.J. Swoboda in his book, A Glorious Dark, writes this. He writes, any story of a resurrection, of miracles, of the unexpected, of the unpredictable, finds its roots in the very place of great struggle, trial, and defeat. And so maybe if we find ourselves today like Mary, in the face of our circumstances, weeping, alone, heartbroken, maybe this is exactly the place where we should be looking for that light, shining through. Maybe this is exactly the place where we're going to discover more of the resurrected Jesus, of of him as the miracle-working God that he is. The one who has defeated death and is glorified with God in heaven and yet calls us by name. There's an invitation in this story today to find something unexpected, to be found. In fact, John's gospel begins with Jesus asking the man who would follow him, what is it you want? And then it ends with him asking this woman at his graveside, who is it you're looking for? So much of what we want, so much of what we direct our lives towards and direct our love towards has been stripped away. And I know when everything kicked off a few weeks ago for me, I had about 48 hours where I just so sharply felt stung by everything that I was attached to being taken away. Maybe like me, you find yourself as we, as we live in this moment either like clinging to the living God or, or desperately searching for him. John's encounter, uh, John's account of the resurrection zooms in on this one-on-one encounter and the impact of one person's discovery of the living God. And the turning point for Mary is when he calls her by her name. She's crying, she's confused, she thinks that he is the gardener. And then he calls down a fire from heaven and burns up the tomb and then he pulls out a magic wand and then he sends lightning. No, he just, he just says her name in his voice. And I see a, a few things in this tiny moment. I see his closeness to her. She is searching for a body, a shell of him that she thinks has been taken away, but he's fully there beside her. I see the nature of their relationship their familiarity with each other. It is his voice speaking her name and only her name that breaks her out of the the foggy panic that she's in. And she recognizes him for the first time and she says, Rabboni, which means my master, my teacher. I see his realness to her. It's not an empty tomb story. It's not a like, okay, goodbye to the hero, see you later story. It's a God is real and close to you story. 
a deeply personal God's been raised to life. In Matthew's gospel, um, he describes how the angel comes down with an earthquake and he announces uh, that Jesus is alive to the women who are there. And then the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And maybe fear feels all too familiar right now. And yet we see in the resurrection story that it is possible to feel afraid. And yet when confronted with the living Jesus, be filled with joy that both might be in tandem. Our world is in crisis right now. And in one sense, it might feel like that affects everything to do with how we celebrate Easter, but it also doesn't affect anything because the Easter story, what has occurred here, human history and the Bible's big story all centers in on this moment, centers in on the person of Jesus and what he did on the cross and that he rose from the dead. And four accounts of his life tell the story of how he lived, loved, healed, did miraculous things, taught people, and then died only to rise from the dead two days later to speak to his friends, to reveal himself to people, and then to go to heaven to be with the Father. The reality of the resurrection means that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, not months ago, years ago, not today, not in our future either. Jesus has secured for us some things that do not change. He secured for us atonement at one meant that through him laying down his life as a sacrifice, he has taken on our sin. He's given us his perfection. A great exchange has taken place and we can be at one with God again. He's justified us. We were declared guilty in our sin and, and like the judge himself paying the penalty, he has justified us on the cross. We've been redeemed where we were once slaves to sin. He has bought us back by his blood. He's bought us back and made us free. We've been reconciled to God again. The sin that was like a wedge between us, like a barrier between us and the God who made us, the God who loves us. Jesus has come and removed the barrier so we can be reconciled, so that we can be with him again. And he has secured victory over darkness forever. He has defeated sin and death. And because uh, sin causes death and there's no sin in him, then death couldn't hold him. The Father raised him to life and he defeated death and darkness. Standing in the gap, securing forgiveness, offering us full life to anyone, everyone, ever, who would put their trust in him. I've played um, quite a few night games in my time. Uh, at camps and things like that. And night games are typically just glorified tag or glorified hide and seek in the dark, but sometimes they can be incredibly complex and sometimes they can be incredibly simple. And there was this one night game we used to play at camp where basically all that happened was you would give a, a leader a torch and you would tell them to go hide in the woods and just shine the torch up into the sky and you'd release the children and they would have to just search for the torch, just basically run through the woods in the darkness and find the light. And generally, weirdly, because children are quite strange and hard to understand, they would all enjoy that. But you would occasionally get a, a, one camper who would come to the base, would come to the chapel deck about 20 minutes, half an hour into the game, just sobbing because they couldn't find the light. Because they'd been running around in the darkness for so long, maybe they'd tripped, maybe they'd fallen, maybe they just got so stressed out or it just felt like it, the game was lasting forever and they couldn't find the light and so they came in tears and they would sit on the chapel deck and the game would end. And eventually the leader who had the torch in the forest would come and they would find that little camper and they'd sit with them and they'd bring the torch to them and reassure them that everything was going to be okay. I think sometimes in this life we can feel a little bit like we're running around in the dark searching for a light. Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you feel like... Um, 
you're searching for something and you don't know where it is and actually you're just done. <laughs> you're done looking for it. But the Easter story is a story where um, the story changes because we don't, we don't need to run around in the dark searching for this light. This is a story where uh, the light comes. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus comes to us. He calls Mary by her name in this moment and he calls you by name. He's called me by name. He's come to me. He's revealed himself to me. He found me when I needed him. He doesn't make us hunt for him desperately. He is, he's ready. He's come already and he has made a way for you to be with him, for you to have hope, for you to have life in all its fullness. And you don't need to run like a child in the woods in the dark. You can take hold of that today. How can we respond? How do we respond this morning? There's two questions Jesus asks Mary at the end. He asks her, why are you crying? And he asks her, who are you looking for? And maybe he asks us similar questions today. And his first question, why are you crying? We can see his heart. He loves you. He cares about how you're feeling. He cares about how you're doing. He cares about what you're carrying in this moment. Why are you crying? We also see in that question, though, something of what he's overcome. Because he is standing there alive, asking her that question. And she is crying because she thinks that he is dead. So he says, why are you crying? It's the same for us today. Why are you crying? There's hope in that. And then he asks her too, who are you looking for? Could it be that, that Jesus is asking you that today? Who are you looking for? Maybe you know him already. Maybe you're living life with him already. But just in the, in the madness of everything that's going on, it's, it's hard to keep hold of that. And, and actually, we, we go astray and we start to look to other things and we start to get distracted or we start to get foggy again and we, we go into that panic. And he's maybe saying to you, who are you looking for? Look, you're looking for me and I'm here. Or maybe you don't know him yet. And, and you can feel that nudge in your heart today as he says, who are you looking for? Because he's ready to be found. I have a few um, challenges for you today. And the first one is to give your life to Jesus today. All in, always. It's Easter Sunday. We remember that Jesus is alive. We remember that he uh, loved you. He loved me enough to go to the cross to die for us so that our future can be sure with God. And today you can respond to that by giving your life to him. Maybe for the very first time, or maybe by coming back to him again. You know what your story is, and you know what, what you're being nudged and what you're feeling the Holy Spirit uh, pushing you to do in this moment. But I would encourage you that if, if today you feel like it is time, don't hold back. Now is the moment. <laughs> Put your trust in him. Know the hope and peace that can come from him. Give your life to Jesus today. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll pray us through a prayer in just a little moment. You can pray along with me if you'd like to do that. But my second challenge to you this morning is to seize resurrection hope and cling to it in this moment. So on a practical level, I would say do that daily by the hour if you have to. Where is the light? What is God doing? Where is he in this? Keep a journal 
pray, ask God, okay, reveal to me, where are you? What are you doing? Cling on to resurrection hope in this time. And then my number three is, looks a little ambiguous, but go and tell. So maybe for you, that means um, talk to your friends about the hope that you have in this moment. Maybe it means today just ringing five to 10 people in your life to say, happy Easter. Today is so great because dot, dot, dot. Whatever way works for you and the people in your life, but share this. If this is what you believe, if this is what your life is built on, then share it. Those are my challenges today.